0: listening to the private citizen the podcast for critical thinkers this is episode 116 for thursday the 5th of may 2022 the left sphere of Musk. hello everybody my name is fab i'm coming to you live from düsseldorf um on a on a thursday this time um, how are you doing? Um, well, I'm recording this on a Thursday. I don't know when you're listening to it. Such is the magic of podcasting. I'm recording this in the night, um, and I will toast you now with a uh, lovely glass of scotch. Some art more. Um, yes, um, I'm a day late. I apologize for that. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but we're gonna talk about Elon Musk. I wanted to do this uh, I have wanted to do this show for a while and um, yeah I've, I've just been very, very busy. Uh, I was planned as an extra show. I wanted to do, do it over the weekend, but it's just been one thing after the other and like my plans are currently just not coming to fruition. That's the downside. the upside is. Um, I actually have um, quite a lot to do, quite a lot of work, which um, you know when you're when you're a freelancer um you you really can't complain about that so it's it's all like you know it's it's um it's ups and downs so um you know um positives and and negatives so um yeah um but anyway um oh uh, before we get into the into the show proper there is actually one thing, um, I wanted to quickly mention. Um, and sometimes I talk about how, how many listeners I have on the show, um, which, um, it's kind of, um, you know, I, I, I'm keeping an eye on it, but it's kind of hard because I'm obviously, uh, doing here, doing the value for value model here. Um, I'll explain later in the show what that actually means, but basically, um, I'm not tracking you. I'm not selling your information to anybody. Um, so it's kind of hard to for me to really tell how much listeners I have. It's hard, you know. Traditionally, it's been always been hard for podcasts anyway. And I'm not using any of the technologies we have. I basically just have server logs at my disposal, um, so I know how many people visit the website, um, roughly. Well, how many IP addresses really? Um, and I got downloads. So I don't, it's kind of hard for me. I'm I'm, I'm kind of using my. Experience of like doing podcasts for what was it thirteen years now, whatever, um, to um, kind of you know estimate how many listeners I have. So you know all all of that. I'm I'm just saying that you know to tell you that you should whatever I'm going to tell you, I take that with a grain of salt. But um, you know, comparing to my um, numbers, the last time I did a little bit of analysis, which was uh, basically at the end of last year. Um, it seems the listenership of this show has about doubled, um, which is kind of amazing. Um, so I'm very happy with this. Um, um, this is this is. Um, I'm taking this as an encouragement. I'm taking that as you know people are interested in what I'm doing here, um, which I think is awesome. Of course, I receive a lot of support by um, you know the producers of the show, the people who write in. Uh, who support me monetarily but you know those are only the with with any such endeavor that those are only the tip of the iceberg iceberg of course it's also important to me um you know people who just listen and you know never write in so i don't know i just want to say that i'm pretty happy about that um yeah and with that i think we should get Uh, into our topic for today which is Elon Musk but um, as I say this I just uh, just just occurred to me you might want to go to privatecitizen.press privatecitizen.press which is um, where the show notes are and especially for this episode I always try to you know have copious show notes especially for this episode where I'm kind of reading a lot from articles Um, I put the relevant passages in the show notes of course all the links to all the articles and all that stuff so you you might want you might want to go there um private citizen.press and with that without further ado let's get into the meat of the matter let's talk about elon musk today we're gonna of course uh, you might have you will probably have heard this um elon musk uh bought twitter or is buying twitter it's like a, it's a process right um but uh, there was a lot of outrage about this of course um which is you know you probably would have would have seen and read and heard about that as well and um yeah i'm i, I wanna um i have i have a take on this um i think it's um um i think it isn't bad that elon musk is buying twitter uh and i think that the people who are outraged about this are outrage for other reasons, which actually go much deeper, which tie in with things we talk about on this show quite often, which is, you know, um, censorship, surveillance, uh, the intelligence services, the people who, if you're just a private citizen, which is probably why you're listening to the show, um, are basically your enemies. Um, You know, they're the part of the government that actually doesn't work in your favor and um, that kind of undermines your rights as a private citizen. So this is very important. Um, but before we get into all of this, first, I want to quickly talk about Elon Musk in general. And I want to tell you why I don't like Elon Musk at all. And this is something that goes back to, um, I've talked about this for years, um, It used to be quite a controversial um opinion to not like elon musk um so on linux outlaws a podcast i did years ago with a friend of mine dan um we we talked about tech you know linux open source, but you know that this intersected with general tech topics and um this also we talked about elon musk um you know now and then and I, i i've never liked this guy um pretty much for the same reason that i don't like people like him um, so he's considered by, uh, or he was until like last week or whatever, uh, considered by large parts of, you know, Silicon Valley, I would say, you know, the, the tech elite in the US and the pundits and journalists that, that are influenced by them as, as, as a genius, right? Um, kind of like um, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Um, and like those two people, which I also never liked. um you know, I've, I've, I've talked about this possibly on other podcasts, so I'm going to uh, I can't remember, might have talked about this on this show when it came up, but um, I'm going to do it again anyway. Um, I don't consider these people um, geniuses, right? Um, their claim to fame is largely uh, ruthless business practices. Um, like all, all, all three of those people, I mean, Bill Gates, um, a guy who built computers at a time where everybody just built computers and then thought, okay, uh, everybody's just, doing that we're going to make a business out of this so he kind of commercialized the thing that you know and kind of tried to control things that you know were just happening in the public domain you know back in the time when when there was no free software because basically all the software was free software he went you know what happens if if software isn't free anymore and you know we get people to pay for our software and he started by building computers and um you know, then got a deal, I think what I think with IBM, right? Um where he um was gonna sell them some computers and they said, Well, we need an operating system. And you know, with back then, um, you know, this is this is the, 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 the origins of DOS basically. Um back then people would just, you know, soft there wasn't such a really such a thing as open source or free software because people would just share software freely, right? There, was, there were operating systems that people had just built, like hobbyists and enthusiasts had just built and and put together, and you would just share them. And, you know, people build computers, even, you know, as a business, they just build computers from parts. I mean, we're talking the beginnings of the PC here, which is close to my heart because I've, I've had a PC since 89, and I've only used PCs. Um, but, you know, they build um, this. The, 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 the PC was the first, like, really, like, interoperable open hardware platform where where any you know manufacturer could just build like extension cards and you could just slot them into your PC so Bill Gates uh, and his mates uh, were or his mate actually at the time um, uh, Paul Allen, uh, they were building um, computers and they, they they were about to close this deal I think with IBM um, it's been a time since I uh, had bought this. But, um, and, and they they were like, okay, we're selling computers. We need, like, an operating system, right? And there was a guy who wrote an operating system, which was basically shared freely, or, like, it was kind of, like, shareware freeware. You could, like, use it, but then, you know, um, if you used it commercially, you, you were kind of supposed to pay him a little bit or whatever. Um, and they thought, we will, we're we going to use that. And that that is what became DOS. So uh, there's a famous mugshot of Bill Gates. Um, he's very young. Um uh, where he actually was caught speeding I think in the Nevada desert because he and Paul Allen were just driving across the country to this guy's house to get him to sell them their operating system and they basically got it for like a penny were uh, very very cheap they got this operating system and then turned around and pretended it was theirs and sold it to IBM. And this is how Microsoft um, started and how Microsoft became, like Microsoft has had these business practices. Like, you know, in, in Linux Outlaws, we would talk about, you know, in the 90s, they would have all like these dirty business practices to get people to not use Linux because they were very scared of Linux. This was a time before, you know, is your, and Microsoft like kind of embracing Linux. Um, they hated it. Like, you know, there was the famous Steve um, um uh, Steve Palmer thing, um, uh, you know, Linux is a cancer and an American and all of that. So, you know, these people are ruthless. They're not, Bill Gates didn't invent anything really. Um, these are not the inventors. The people that get rich, um, it's the same everywhere. It's the same in Silicon Valley, even though Silicon Valley has this myth or even this mythos, I think you would call it, of like the the creative guy becoming rich. But that's not really what happens um the the friend of the creative guy who has uh business acumen is the one who gets rich um you know sometimes he makes the other guy rich too, but you know that these people are if they're geniuses, they're business geniuses right um, and the same with uh with Steve Jobs who you know um, Steve Wozniak was the guy who was actually coming up with things um and and Steve Jobs was just a marketeer. um well, just a marketeer. in my eyes i don't I don't really regard these people as 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 very. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, they're not like amazing inventors pushing society forward. They push their company forward and themselves. Uh, and Steve Jobs always had this air of a genius where he was really only a good businessman. Um, you know, st- st- same thing with like, they, they think like people, people in Silicon Valley, there's this myth that, you know, Apple and its industrial design, um is, like, dependent on Steve Jobs. He didn't come up with that, like Johnny Ive did, right? And and Wozniak built, like, the computers in the early days. So those were the people who want to regard anybody as geniuses. Those are the ones. But, you know, generally it's like Steve Jobs. And Elon Musk is exactly the same. Um, And I've I've harbored a a very dislike of Elon Musk from early on because, basically, I mean, he didn't found PayPal. He found, like, what is it, x.com. It was, like, the company that invented the payment system that became paypal and of course paypal um is uh, i use it pretty much every day um i use it for the show something you can't get around because like the banks uh, messed up like the banks fucked up with the internet right and we had a time when internet commerce was taking off but if you wanted to send money uh, you know from germany to the us like a bank transfer would take like five days Um, i mean it was all computers so the money was there immediately, but the banks would just rip you off, and like basically use your money for five days and speculate with it until they got it, gave it to the next bank, in in the line or whatever, right? Um, so PayPal stepped in, and 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 I mean that that wasn't an invention; that was just a no-brainer. It was just like, you know, what if we just use this internet infrastructure to like give the customer um, a payment transfer as fast as as the the infrastructure actually allows and that alone i mean you know that's you know i don't think you know musk is a genius uh but that alone isn't bad like paypal itself and the business practices that musk um kind of influenced while he was at that whatever that x.com or whatever that was and then later at paypal uh when he was like you know running paypal um I've talked about this on the show before, how like that basically ruined um, the financial system for us. I mean, this from a German perspective, right? Uh, Germany has very strict banking laws. And because PayPal wasn't under the auspices of these um, payment laws, they can do all kinds of um, shitty things. Like, for example, um, PayPal um, is very... um, Uh, is known or infamous for just closing accounts, right? Um, They did this, like, with people who produce porn, uh, but more recently also, um, I think, Matt Taibbi or Greenwald, somebody who we're going to talk about later as well, wrote about this uh, just recently, um, where they're just now, they're they're basically closing independent media um, outlets, accounts like like you know i have a paypal account which is which you can use to send me money for the show and you know they they close accounts like that and not only close the accounts they keep your money right they say you did something against the terms of services we're keeping the money as i think they call it damages even though there really aren't any damages like it's basically a scam and if a bank did that in Germany Right, uh, I don't know how the banking laws are where you are, but in Germany, you have very strict banking laws. So if, if my bank, um, they can't even like just kick me out. Um, but uh, like, even if they did, even if they closed my account, they have to give me my money. right? They can not just keep my money. <laughs> oh, you violated our, your our terms of service. We'll keep your money. What? It's just like a mechanic taking your car in for repairs and then saying, oh, you violated my terms of service. I'm keeping your car. Like, gee, <laughs> what? Um, so, you know, and, and the, the problem is that that is ruining all of um, society, basically all of money in society right now, because, um, and I'm going to, this is one of the episodes. I want to do an in-depth episode about this. I've had this on the docket for about a year or even longer. Um, because in countries like in Germany, where we the, where have very strict banking laws, the banks are complaining that they're an unfair disadvantage because tech companies like PayPal basically do the same thing like they they do, but they don't have all these regulations, right? And uh, in typical manner of of, of, of um, politicians everywhere, they just go the the path of least resistance, which is, you know, not taking all these tech companies under the same banking laws when they basically do banking because that would be hard. Because it'd be hard to regulate a company like PayPal, which you know sits somewhere else as like a it's an island or whatever. Um, no, what they're gonna do is they're just gonna weaken the laws for the banks. So now the banks can just, can do the same shady shit and fuck the consumer. Right? So um yeah that that is really bad. And you know, one of the things I also have wanted to talk about is like the things that are happening in Canada, right? with the protests where, you know, the government then basically sees it, like, this is all going, this is all going to shit. Um, and Elon Musk is one of the reasons for it. And he certainly isn't a genius. Uh, you know, his other companies, well, you know, oh, SpaceX, oh, we're going to Mars. Well, you know, basically he's he's, he's doing what, what the government should be doing, what NASA should be doing, what NASA was doing until they got massively defa- funded probably in in uh in favor of the military <laughs> space force or whatever um and uh now it's like private companies basically doing that but it's not genius right um i mean it's like spacex they haven't even put like a a, a a person on the moon yet right and and we've put the person on the moon in the 60s so it's like it's not like i'm sorry i have a higher bar for like genius and and really really cool things right um, a private company doing things that the government did in the 60s, to me, is not that exciting. I know it's exciting to a lot of other nerds, but it's kind of like electric cars, right? People go, like, oh my God, electric Tesla, such genius. I mean, Jesus Christ, VW had a fully electric like van. I think it was, was it the t T2? Might have even been the T1 in like the 65 or what? Maybe the beginning of the seventies, did a fully electric van, like with a huge battery. Okay, it was back then with lead iron, but lead, lead, lead iron battery, lead acid thing. You know the lead batteries, um, the you know the the ones that are starter batteries also, like a big one like that. And and you know, but like an electric motor in every like wheel. This is not new. The only reason electric cars didn't take off is a political one. It's not because we didn't have the technology. You know, electric motors have been around since, I don't know, uh, the 1800s, I think, right? Um, so it's like, this is all not genius. This is just, like, good marketing and good business. So I've, I've never liked Elon Musk. Uh, that just as a, as a preface um, to, uh, you know, to what I'm about to talk about now. Because you might think, if you hear the rest of the show then I'm a fan of Elon Musk. And I wanted to make sure in the beginning that I'm not. I don't think he's a genius. Uh, I think he's somewhat of an asshole. Um, The only thing that endears him to me is that he has the same problem as me, which is he says (laughs) wildly unpopular things on Twitter and then gets fucked by Twitter for it. But unlike me, he's rich and and influential. And uh, he said, I'm going to do something about this we just buy the place and then fucking change its rules which i think is okay um you know i um before before i even started the show long before i started the show um i started to have i like twitter i really like twitter i think it's a it's a great platform i think it's it's in, it's an invaluable tool for journalists. I like the always public nature of it. I've I've been a fan of Twitter for a very long time, and I've been relatively successful on Twitter. Um, you know, largely due to Linux Outlaws back in the day, and I had I got a lot of followers. I got a steady like growth of followers, and then one day, um, you know, the thing with Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos happened where Twitter banned him. Well, first of first they took his check mark away, and then they later banned him um for like stupid reasons um so i wrote a i wrote a column on the german tech uh, i was working for Heise back in the day so i w- w- wrote a column for Heise that hundreds of thou- thousands of people's people in germany read um maybe even a million i don't know um it was a wildly co- popular <laughs> column um where i said basically this is this is this is not good this is akin to um Kind of like a totalitarian attitude. What Twitter is doing here, you know. Basically, I said it doesn't matter what you think of Milo, which and there's another guy I never liked. Um, but the problem is, you know, the check mark w- means, according to Twitter, that you're a verified user. Um, and once you they verify you, however, like figure out who, who you are, where you live, whatever you know, whatever the the rules are, they can't take it away. According to these, to their own like definition of it, um, because they, you know you can't be unverified. You're still the same person. Twitter still knows that you, you're that person, but you know Twitter recognized that it's kind of a mark of approval, um, and they started using it that way and started taking check marks away and, and banning people that have opinions that they don't like. Now, Milo back in that day, which is my point what I pointed out, didn't any didn't do anything that was illegal. Uh, or even against Twitter's terms of service, but he had an opinion that Twitter didn't like, which is why they silenced him. Um, yes, I wrote that column, and um, uh, days, uh, within days, um, my 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 steady growth of followers dropped to zero. And ever since, this is years ago, ever since then, I basically had no new followers on Twitter. And, you know, I have uh, some contacts in the industry, I even have some contacts at Twitter, I never, you know, I've never managed to actually verify this, otherwise I would have written a story about this long ago. Um, but basically they um Twitter has a way to um it's not really shadow banning, it's like sinkholing you, right? So my tweets, if you if I'm I'm on Twitter, Fabsh, FoxRod Alpha Bravo, Sierra Hotel at Fabsh. Um if you follow me, you you see all my tweets. Um but Nobody who doesn't follow me sees my tweets, right? They get never get recommended, they never um turn up anywhere. Basically, you only see them if you follow me, or if some may if somebody um you follow likes them sometimes. So only the direct thing, but not the you know uh hey, you have like I don't know four thousand followers. Um, you know, we're gonna recommend this to you. Obviously, like right back in the day I was Post about Linux a lot of uh You post about Linux. Uh, you know, we recommend this to, to some people. Who seem to like Linux. I've never had this, so so my followers basically dropped to zero. Uh, I can live with that. Um, I might sound a little bit bitter. Maybe I'm, 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 but I'm. I've been over this for a long time. I, I used to be a little bit bitter about this, um, but I've basically recognized that Twitter is like this kind of platform that gets you know that has. The people who run the place have certain biases political biases and they they enforce them um, but this kind of thing has gotten much much worse over the over the last few years and you know of course with trump everything um got just ramped up um even more um and what we basically have now i mean it's not only twitter but you know we're talking about twitter today because you know you with the same things basically on 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 fa- uh, on facebook it's like um twitter has a very specific um v- like the company itself has a very specific um you know i i I want to avoid as i've talked about often on the show these these political like um filing cabinets like left right progressive uh, conservative all this kind of stuff you know, Democrat, Republican, but sometimes you have to kind of use these just to, you know, a shorthand and just to get your point across. So, so for lack of a better, you know, term, term, Twitter, Twitter, the, the people who run Twitter, like pretty much anybody else and who runs anything in Silicon Valley, are relatively, relatively left-leaning than almost all Democrat voters or their vote Independents so that, that actually left of Democrats, um, uh, and they're relatively progressive and they control um, their platform in a way where they, um, you know, sinkhole other opinions, let them disappear. And and now since, you know, uh, at least with Twitter uh, and Facebook, we know uh, since the... Um, you know since the run up to the last election and the Biden laptop story which turned out to be like completely right but even if it was if, when it was debatable it was a respectable piece of journalism by a relatively respect by the oldest newspaper in the US incidentally i mean somewhat of a yellow press kind of thing but you know the daily mail is allowed to post on twitter so this story was deleted like this was a journalistic story that was as it turns out hindsight's 2020 well researched and spot on but it was like deleted it was deleted off twitter it was censored there's censorship and you know i've talked about this often on the show there's this idea that people have where they you know even journalists i mean i've talked to uh, journalists about this um very topic where i'm like this is a problem for press freedom this a censorship and they're like yeah but censorship something the state does and that is not correct um it used to be that way, um, but that was in a time when the state controlled these kind of ways of, proper, you know, the mass media, basically. And, and today, we, the state of, like most of the time in the countries you're probably in, I'm in Germany, UK, uh, the US, in these kind of countries, um, the government tends to not censor things themselves, what they do is they use companies, private companies to do do it for them. And because pretty much all of our discourse is digital now, you know, everything that happens when we talk to people, we don't talk to them in the street anymore. We don't go into public places. We don't talk in pubs or whatever. Well, we do, but like the general societal discourse, right, happens, doesn't happen in the public anymore. It doesn't happen In newspapers, it doesn't happen in talk shows largely. What happens is on the internet. It happens on Twitter, it happens on Facebook, on WhatsApp, and on Telegram. Um, And this is where, you know, the society, our societies um, form their opinions and where politics get made and where, you know, presidents get made and presidents get, uh, you know, unmade (laughs) pretty much. so this is very important. So the, the the argument that, you know, a private company can do whatever they want on their platform is kind of like a, um, it's a strawman. It's a dumb argument. Um, it's something that people use to distract you because these private platforms are where political discourse is happening. And the government is largely using these entities um, to, to censor on, if not outright censor, then um, shape discourse and another episode I got on my list of episodes to do is I'm going to talk about Bernays and I'm going to specifically about his book propaganda where he explains or he explained in 1928 how this works and is at, as applicable back then as it is today on Twitter. Um, so. So this is important. These platforms are important and what, what happens is important and what happened here is that Elon Musk says, said, "I'm buying Twitter," um, and and people freaked out because Elon Musk pretty much has this, the same problems, just in bigger because he's richer and more influential than I have. Right? He said things on Twitter that were largely improper. Well, he's got a different problem. They can't sinkhole him because you can't make Elon Musk disappear. But like they had like you know the SEC. Uh, Forbade him to use Twitter because they were saying like he's he's um he's influencing the market right kinda kind of how they threw Donald Trump off twitter um or they were like kind of you know for a long time before that they were saying you know the president should not be allowed to tweet, which is like you know that's just like idiotic but hey that's that's how it goes um what what's actually happening here is that the a certain elite, the more left-leaning, Democrat-leaning um, political uh, elite and the people that run these tech platforms, they are afraid. Um, because political discourse right now on Twitter and on other platforms like it are heavily slanted in their favor. Um, things that get that, that are against their view are often shunned, shouted down, outright censored, uh, declared misinformation, put little check marks, and fact checks are put around it, even though the stuff that there's there's a ton of stuff that is as questionable or as wrong um, from their side of the aisle that is just allowed to to go free and go through. and this is has a huge influence on the discourse. and they they're afraid that Musk, because he doesn't he's not on board, right he's kind of an outcast even though for a long time he was a genius in silicon valley and a hero um because of the things he says and because of because it's obvious that his political slant is different from any of these other people um they're afraid that when he takes it over now he can either like ab- ab- abandon all the censorship and this this manipulation of the discourse or even worse he could he could do it in his direction right and you know when the when the covid thing was going on and musk was very much not on board with all the restrictions and he was he was saying you know uh, i'm going to open my factories and if i can't do it in california then i'm going to move to texas or whatever um you know people were afraid that that he can do that and then he can just put all those opinions on twitter and everybody who likes them their opinion gets shown and 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 the 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 stuff the 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 people are very afraid of the virus posting and you know the WHO says this that could all get like deleted or disappeared and so basically they're afraid of um having happened to their opinions and the people who espouse their opinions um that you know the same that is happening right now to their opponents they're afraid that that's going to happen to them um glenn greenwald uh, wrote a great piece on this And uh, when the news just came out that that Elon Musk was probably going to buy Twitter, he analyzed the situation as follows. follows. He said, um, during the failed liberal campaign to force Spotify to remove Joe Rogan's podcast, remember that. Yes, we do, because uh, episode 107. If you don't remember that, go back to episode 107, Private Citizen Press. Um, During... uh, the failed liberal campaign for Spotify to remove Joe Rogan's podcast, remember that, I wrote that the real lesson from that tawdry episode was the central religious belief of American liberals is now censorship. Silencing, deplatforming, and otherwise preventing their adversaries from being hurt is their paramount goal, their primary weapon." As I noted yesterday in reporting on the unprecedented censorship regime imposed in the West in the name of the war in Ukraine, a series of ostensible crises, Russiagate, the 1-6 riot, the COVID pandemic, and now this war, have in rapid succession convinced not just liberals, but increasingly large numbers of Westerners in many ideological camps, not only to tolerate, but to crave state-slash-corporate censorship. They have somehow, somehow inverted history so that they now believe that it's not censorship that is the favorite tool of fascists, tyrants, and authoritarians, even though every fascist and despot in history used censorship as a key means for maintaining power, but instead believe that it is free speech, free discourse, and free thought that are the instruments of repression. And if you don't believe that, I can tell you this from my personal experience, um, both in talking to friends of mine from university who study politics and history with me um who are now of this opinion and from fights I've had um with other journalists um you know I've I've, I've written articles on columns and where like the editor in chief of, of some newspaper or magazine or whatever would then uh, say you know have a fight with me on this and say you know this is uh, uh this is this is not good like it shouldn't be allowed that people say certain things um, on the internet, because that's bad for democracy, and then i'm I'm gonna say well that censorship and censorship, like you know the opposite is true um it is not the fact that you know too much things are allowed to say is, has never been a danger for democracy in history. like I've studied history literally it that that is not a danger for democracy, right um like the Weimar Republic didn't fall to the Nazis because Hitler uh, was allowed to speak, right? That 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 wasn't the problem. I mean, if you look at it, you could come to the, like on, on the very high level and you're just like an idiot and just have primary school history or whatever. You could go, yeah, obviously uh, Hitler was allowed to say these dangerous things and then people believed him and, and that is the problem. Um, but if you look at the situation, um, you see that, you know, obviously the problem was, you know other laws in the weimar republic um that allowed hitler actually to seize power once he um was uh duly elected um you know that was a problem and you know censorship itself um like leading to the fact that the nazis kind of looked like uh, the good guys because they looked like they were saying the things that um that weren't allowed to be said right that that is a big danger for democracy when you have a de- 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 when you have a democratic government and the government thinks it needs to censor things to protect itself which is why i always been against like censoring like nazi symbols and that kind of stuff which we do in germany which i think is stupid just think of like these um in germany for for example we have these querdenker right um these people who um You know somewhat on the right of the political spectrum they're not really neo-nazis a lot of them are just like you know they believe in homeopathy uh you know stupid things like that but they're also very critical of of covid restrictions stuff like that and and they're fairly fairly crazy and they have fairly dumb arguments and they really can't convince in a in a, in a society, like in a democratic democratic society with free speech, they really can't convince the majority of people because I mean, people are not very intelligent, but they're not that dumb. The problem is if you were to go and censor them, um, which, which actually has recently been, been, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this a little bit here, but it's been very German centric. So I haven't talked about that much on the show. Um, but, you know, there, there were um, attempts made to do this. There was, like, a, a push because they were talking on, on Telegram because, you know, they got thrown off a lot of platforms like like Twitter and Facebook. You know, they were, they were suddenly talking on Telegram and people were like, oh, we need to ban Telegram. And the problem is if you do that kind of thing, you just give them more allure, right? You give these people... Um, who in a in a free discourse where everybody can say whatever they want and you actually have free speech, you don't have much of a chance because they really don't have good arguments. If you mystify them by like making, oh, they're the edgy people and the government doesn't allow them to talk about this, so you know there must be something, there must be onto something, right? Just th- that's actually the much bigger problem. So it's like historically absolutely idiotic to say that you need that democracies need to censor something this is something i've always believed um well not believed it's like i say believed because i think it's a scientific fact like if you look at history and you look at at historic studies you can only come to that conclusion i think but you know in germany um we are not of this opinion um this is why you know the swastika is forbidden It's a forbidden symbol you can't use it um as if that would actually do anything um but you know but that that's like this dangerous uh this dangerous impulse, anyway, I think um Greenwald points this out really well, and um that is that is a big problem, you know that people the, i mean journalists journalists i mean he, he gets to this in a little bit. Greenwald gets to the point how or perv- well, might have been even the next noise. I think it's in the next text from Taibi like he points out how perverse it is for a journalist. For a journalist of all people to think that s- s- like having having the right to say or write what you think is is correct and and is right like that that is dangerous that's basically killing your own profession right that's like a plumber who thinks water is dangerous or like a mechanic who doesn't like cars and would rather everybody rides around on a bicycle right you, you, even, you cannot trust somebody like this um right anyway um greenwald uh, greenwald continues a few events have revealed uh, revealed this twisted framework as vividly as the news that elon musk offered on wednesday to buy twitter and take it private the fact that Musk has repeatedly denounced Twitter's increasingly heavy-handed and clearly ideological censorship regime does not mean he's earnest in his intention to restore free speech to the platform, but the mere possibility that he does in, does intend to do so has sent censorship-dependent liberals into spasms of panic and hysteria. Before the morning was over, some were even comparing Musk's offer to the rise of Nazism in the 1930s. And we have a tweet from Jeff Jarvis, uh, who is a, I am ashamed to say, professor of journalism, but also um, has um, co-created and is co-hosting the um, This Week in Google podcast uh, on Neil Laporte's Twitter network, which will make sense uh, at the end of the show when you realize why these people are actually pro-censorship, because big tech, you know, uh, and he's obviously in, I don't know, in bed. I never particularly like the guy, actually following me on Twitter, and he's wrong on many things, but uh, he's very wrong on this. Like he, he is, This is like one of the worst tweets I've seen this year. Uh, so Jeff says, uh, Today on Twitter feels like the last evening in a Berlin nightclub at the twilight of we- Weimar, Germany. I mean, that is like, if you could just say, I mean, that... <laughs> As a German, you go like, "Oh my God, this is like the stereotype of an American." You know, when when Germans, when we think about Americans, we think like their their school system is, is 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 really shit, and they don't know anything about geography and history, and they just go do 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 like Homer Simpson. That is, of course, not true. But like people like this are reinforcing this stereotype. Jeff, you have no fucking idea. What Berlin was like uh, in the twilight of the Weimar Republic. I don't think you studied history. If you did, you wouldn't say something like this. Um, I would actually like to introduce you to my 100 year old grandma so she can tell you how idiotic this is. You moaning about Elon Musk buying Twitter, where you're sitting there with your blue check mark. And now you're, oh my God, now maybe somebody's going to do something against my stupid opinions, right? If you were from the other side of the political spectrum and you've posted something like this and you even invoked the Nazis, you'd be like, all right, ban this guy, get him off Twitter, what the fuck? And what what's happening there is that Jeff is afraid that this is now going to happen to him because, um, uh, yeah, or that, you know, people would disagree with him. But you, know, you can see, like, 2,500 likes. I mean, this is, and this is still on the very morning. I mean, people, 1,700 quotes almost, and I don't think people quoted them and said, look at this idiot. Um, these people don't, and they didn't even, like, the funny thing about this whole episode, and I, I really thought that was funny, was these people don't see how idiotic they are. They don't see how wrong they are. They actually think this is actually this is a professor of journalism a professor of journalism who is justifying censorship or fighting the possible removal of censorship by invoking the nazis a professor of journalism i mean he's entitled to his opinion it's just that his opinion is a huge steaming pile of shit <laughs> Just, i mean these people anyway um let's let's continue um i also uh, had a there's a story from matt taibbi where he uh, also wrote about this and he i think he 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 encapsulates what's happening here very well matt says um this is the elite argument against. so this is the elite argument against free speech in a nutshell if you favor all legal speech, you you really just want to slander, threaten, and harass. The hypocrisy of America's self-appointed culture protectors this week is breathtaking. They really seem not to realize that what they've been asking for year that 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 oh, sorry, it's been a very long day. I've worked a lot today. I'm I'm very sorry. I'm gonna take a sip of scotch and retry with this sentence. They really seem not to realize that what they've been seeking for years isn't an end to speech abuses, but a monopoly to them. They see Musk as a traitor to his class, well, Walla, uh, threatening to upend what they see as a natural order that, in recent years, placed blue nose—I like that term, by the way—blue nose placed blue nose squads in deserved roles as vanguards and truth arbiters. Whether or not Musk ever upends anything is a different question. I think both these guys have the same opinion as me, I think, and think that Musk is probably not going to do anything. Uh, but it's funny to see that people freak out just even at the possibility. Um, whether or not Musk ever upends anything is a different question, but critics believe he will, and now they're panicking in tones of maximum sanctimony. Um, and then he gloats a bit which I think, you know, for him is, 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 is gloating, but I think it's deserved. I spent a good part of the last four years warning that asking unaccountable billionaires to meddle more in speech would result in exactly such a table-turning episode in which the political mainstream's cocky censor squad would wake up one day to find the wrong tycoon in charge, at which point they would cry foul and howl suddenly about the evils of oligarchy. For failing to cheer their vision of enlightened censorship, colleagues denounced me as a reactionary pervert in the employ of pick one, Trump Trump. Assad, Putin. So it's hard to do anything but chuckle at the anguish this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not by far not as high profile as Metaibi, but I, um, I I am 100% ag on all of that. And um, then in a second piece, uh, a little bit later, he actually um, went into more detail why this whole idea is stupid. I'm just going to read from this because I think it's it's very well written. Probably the funniest effort along those lines, so in the, we need censorship, defense, right? uh, 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 Musk, Trump, I almost said Trump, it's the same thing. Orange man, bad. Um, Musk is evil because he, he wants to get, he said he wants to get rid of censorship, but we need censorship to defend democracy. Probably the funniest effort along those lines was this passage. We need regulation to prevent rich people from controlling our channels of communication. That was Alan Powell, former CEO of Reddit, railing against Musk in the pages of, wait for it, The Washington Post. A newspaper owned by Jeff Bezos complaining about rich people controlling... Channels of communication, just might be the never released punchline to Monty of Monty Python's classic funniest joke in the world skit. (laughs) So good! Oh my God! Rich people are controlling uh, and controlling our our um, our opinions. She says in the newspaper. Owned by the richest man in the world. Like, if you wanted to write a uh, a satire of this, you couldn't. You can You wouldn't even like. You probably wouldn't come up with something that like good. Uh, many detractors went the power route, suddenly getting religious about concentrated wealth having control over the public discourse. <laughs> Sorry, I just I need, just need to uh, <laughs> to get myself um. um under control. This is so funny to me. <clears throat> Many detractors went the power route suddenly getting religious about concentrated wealth having control of the public discourse. In a world that had not yet gone completely nuts that is probably where the outrage campaign would have ended. Since the oligarchical control issue could at least be a legitimate one if printed in the newspaper not all by Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I like how Taimi writes, He's, he's a good writer However, they didn't stop there Media figures everywhere are openly complaining that they dislike the Musk move Because they're terrified he will censor people less In every newsroom I've ever been around, there's always one sad hack who's hated by other reporters but hangs on to a job because he whispers things to management and is good at writing pro-war editorials or fawning profiles of Ari Fleischer or E.D. Armin or other such, such distasteful media tasks. Even that person would never have been willing to publicly say something as gross as, quote, for democracy to survive, it needs more censorship. A professional journalist who opposes free speech was not long ago considered a logical impossibility because the whole idea of a free press depended upon the absolute right to be an unpopular pain in the ass. Exactly, which is why I'm a journalist. (laughs) I'm not getting paid well, but it's the only job where I can be what I am, an asshole, and can do what I can do best, criticize other people. But sadly, I guess that's not what journalists are supposed to do anymore. Things are different now, of course, because the bulk of journalists no longer see themselves as outsiders who challenge official pieties, but rather as people who live inside the rope lines and defend those pieties. I'm guessing, which is sadly very true. I'm guessing this latest news is arousing special horror because the current version of Twitter is a professional journalist's idea for utopia. Place where Donald Trump doesn't exist, everyone with unorthodox thought is warning-labeled, age-restricted content seems to be a popular reason scam, and the current thing, the current thing, is constantly hyped to the moronic max. The site used to be fun, funny, and a great tool for exchanging information. Now it feels like what the world would be if, eight, if the eight most vile people in Brooklyn were put in charge of all human life, a giant hyper-pretentious thought Starbucks. He, right, I'm reading this, right, on the show, not because I'm lazy and I can't talk myself or generate interesting uh, thoughts and phrases. It's just, he does it so well. I don't even want to try. I mean, this is this so beautiful. This is exactly what it is. This is exactly what it feels like. This is exactly why I am pretty much only on Twitter to promote stuff I do these days because that's what it feels like. And you know, the current thing, tm, is just not my jam. My blue checked friends in media worked very hard to create the thriving intellectual paradise. So, of course, they're devastated to imagine that a single rich person could even try to walk in and upend the project. Couldn't Musk just leave Twitter in the hands of responsible, speech-protecting shareholders like Saudi Prince Al-Walid bin Talal? Thanks, Matt. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's why why the political mainstream uh in society is um was afraid was was thinking it was a bad thing that um that musk was gonna buy Twitter I mean this goes as far far as my mother <laughs> you know I visit my parents and my mother's like oh we talked about Twitter and then she's like, oh twitter's going to hell now that musk bought and I'm like what the Why? Where does this opinion come from? (laughs) Well, she just read the things that are written on the internet, right, by my colleagues, and they're dumb. You know, they they are are the people who, like, for the last 10 years thought Elon Musk was a genius, which was dumb. And now they think that, I mean, I don't say he's going to restore free speech because I don't think he will because he's an asshole. But, like, even the idea of him, like not even like restoring free speech like maybe censoring a little bit less is like But I'm like mother how is this like you studied history dad used to be a politic I mean come on what think about this anyway musk is not the problem um, I think we've um I mean I I think it's it's clear what's happening now but actually there's something much much deeper um going on and something we need to talk about and you know this general problem uh we have talked about on the show before and um this is just a, a new symptom of the disease so to speak so let's look at what the actual underlying disease is <laughs> so this whole thing is not about elon musk what we happen here is basically a campaign to normalize censorship on the internet right there's people who are saying it isn't censorship because it isn't the state i talked about that earlier uh, but also people who generally think yes we need, the world is so bad and that people are storming the capital and the nazis are everywhere and you know Trump is Trump is there and Putin and they're all conspiring and they're all going to take over and destroy democracy. So we need to, like, curtail free speech. And we talked about that on the show before. And um, I'm going to go back to Gra- Glenn Greenwald here. And he has talked about this uh, previously as well. Um, I mean, we, we did on the show uh, an episode... Um, one one one. I talked about Ukraine, um, and so so he's he's um, he's generally analyzed this this. Oh no, this is actually this is actually was this Ukraine? Um, no, actually I'm I'm confusing the episode. Sorry, episode one 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 was the episode um, where um, I talked about the. But Greenwald was writing about um, the Biden laptop right so that so that's the um, the Biden laptop story that I also referred to earlier, um, where basically you know we got that was deleted off of social networks and then in the end you know it was termed as um, Russian disinformation by people who used to work or still work in you know in the intelligence community as it's called as Greenwald calls it the the um, surveillance state or the uh, the, the U.S. security state um, for good reasons. You know, if you don't know who Glenn Greenwald is, Google him. He's the guy who uh, broke the Snowden story because Snowden went to him when he wanted to show what, you know, the NSA and the CIA and the other intelligence services are doing. Um, So ever since writing about this, Greenwald has been calling this basically an I don't think he used the word unholy alliance. I think I made that up, but I like it better than his term. I think he called it trinity or something. Um, I'm calling it the unholy alliance between the intelligence community, the corporate press, and big tech. And this is what what's happening here as well. Um, and because of Ukraine, and you know, we I've talked about this. If you go to the Show Notes, private citizen, or press, there's tags. If you click on war in Ukraine. Find all the Ukraine episodes. You want to catch up on those. But you know, I talked about how um, it's war. We have propaganda. We have propaganda from both sides. Propaganda from the Russian side is uh, censored, is called out as propaganda, specifically as propaganda. Where where side, uh, you know, propaganda from the Ukrainian side is just reported as fact and and, and spread um, everywhere um, because it's it's the side we are on. Uh, or you know, most of us has, have decided we're on. Or uh, you know, speaking of Germany and the U.S. <clears throat> and the U.K., our governments have decided they're on. So that 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 propaganda is okay. And then reporting on that, um, Greenwald has then um, moved on to um, there's there's legislation that is being proposed uh, in the U.S. right now um, that you know we, we've seen. For a long time, we've seen we've seen um, political um, uh, political pressure in the U.S. from both parties. This is quite bipartisan, actually. Um, to um, I mean, the the, the, the crassest um, calls were to to like split companies like Facebook and 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 Google apart. So basically, to curtail the Monopolies that these companies have, like on the social discourse and our, on our, um, political lives um, and our social lives, somehow. And and there's legislation that's that's uh, being proposed now. And and there was a letter by uh, people from the intelligence community or people used to be in the so-called intelligence community. Um, that said, that this is dangerous. That breaking up these monopolies actually endangers U.S. national security, and you wrote about that. And we're gonna, I'm gonna read from that in a little bit, and then we will see where where the fear of Musk actually comes from, um, because it it basically uh, comes from this. Um, but I'm just looking, of course, as you know, I'm recording this live on Twitch, and I actually don't have any feedback from. Uh, in the feedback section later on, so so we got some li- live feedback here. So I'm, I'm looking at that right now. I'll just you just have to give me a little bit a second to read this. Um, um, actually, uh, the the person who just jumped in just just did some drive-by comments and then left um but it's it's actually quite interesting how did you form a view on musk i think it is important you're talking about him and he isn't talking about you all right that seems uh, it seems a little bit trolling the internet was amazing at the start there's been a shift with the number of users and businesses online now it was a magic time um actually that is like that specifically is a view that a lot of people um like we talked about this on Linux also quite a lot, like this this idea that the internet was, you know, nerds have this idea, right? That the internet was amazing. I think this guy just searched Musk on Twitch and wanted to troll a little bit, but I'm going to gonna spin this feedback into something that is of use for all of us who are listening to the show, Um nerds have this idea that the internet was better back then when there weren't so many people on the internet and it wasn't so commercialized which is complete bullshit because you know i i got the internet in 98 and and it was commercialized as fuck like if you're in the u.s i mean the internet started out much more siloed and commercialized than it is right now you remember aol right remember those discs you got for free and then you got aol and then you got on there and then you had like this side silo- i mean that's that was more siloed than Facebook is today. Um, at least today we have the free internet, and you can you can go everywhere. Um, and the, the problem so much is also not these corporations. I mean, there is a problem um, that Greenwald, Greenwald writes about here, and that's true. Like you know, um, there are big monopolies, like you know Google. Um, if you search on Google for everything, you know Google basically controls what you can find which is if we talk about Bernays at some point, it's like that's, that's one step further. That's the ultimate form of propaganda. They literally decide what you can know. Um, but generally, people have the ability to, to go any, anywhere, right? And they, they, they could. And it's not that the Internet itself or that are more people are on the Internet or more companies are on the Internet is the problem. The problem, I feel, as always, is just the people. Um, you have the ability on the internet to look at other sources and if something doesn't get surfaced on Twitter, Twitter this is also something you can like you can somehow you can notice you can look at other sources you can do your own research which is something I've tried to promote with the show it's one of the big reasons I do this show right I give you my opinion or in this case the opinion of Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi because I tend to agree with them um I give you all the links, and you can look at them all up, but it's not like you have to go there, sit there, and listen to what Fab says, right? And I'm I'm listening to Fab now, and and Fab is right. Um, No, this is supposed to make you think, and then you you can yourself do some research, go on the internet, find things, look at these articles. If you think Green World is full of shit, then you can, you know take that as a basis, do your own research, find opposing viewpoints, and build your own view of reality. And I want you to do that. I mean, you know, read as many sources as you can expose yourself to other viewpoints. This is something I've been doing. For example, on Twitter, I love to do that. Like one of the reasons I like Twitter is because I follow a lot of people. And I follow people from very different sides of the political spectrum all over the place. People I don't agree with. Um, people I even abhor because I want to see what they say. I'm a journalist, right? I can't, I'm not, I'm not a person who goes through life going, I don't want to see what this guy says, right? Um, when I was on, when I was on Linux Outlaws reporting about Linux and open source, and I was very, very open source centric. I, mean, I still follow the Microsoft guys and the Oracle guys because I want to see what they say. Because even if I don't agree with them, I need to know what they say. I need to know their arguments. Like you, that is what's going away. And the the thing is not that the real problem is not that Twitter is censoring this, and 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 Twitter is 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 hampering or other social networks are hampering this discourse. Because if people It noticed that. It didn't want it. They could fight it or they could go somewhere else and they could get their other information. The real danger is, and that's what I'm trying to get across with this episode. Well, with the first part. Now we're getting into different territory. But um, the real danger there is that these people have convinced normal people like my mother, who know better, should know better, Um, very intelligent people. That it is better for them if they don't see certain things. That's what censorship is, right? Censorship is the idea that you're better off if you don't see certain things, right? It's the idea that if there's somebody like Hitler or they're agitating um, with shitty arguments, and shitty ideas that you're better off and that society is better off if you don't see them, if you somehow make them disappear, which doesn't solve their problem. And if anything, if more people had taken what Hitler said seriously in the run-up to him actually getting elected, I don't think... The problem was people weren't taking him seriously. That That is the problem. The pro- he was writing in his book that he wanted to kill Jews... And people are like, yeah, but he's just agitated. He doesn't really mean that. No, if people had actually taken him seriously, they probably maybe wouldn't have voted for him. Because in general, people are not really that, you know, this is is the, the awakening the German public then had when he started going around killing people that then it was too late. So that's the problem. The problem is not that the systems on the internet are a problem or that the commercialization is a problem. I mean all the, there are problems with that. I'm not saying. But the really the big problem is within people's minds. People are like I just want to do my job. I just I'm I'm just my life. Want to have a bit of fun. And when I go on the internet, I don't even I don't want to I don't I don't want to have this mental stress of of trying to figure out what's right in the world. I just want my little Instagram and my TikTok and my funny videos and this cat and, and this guy uh, cutting up certain things and building something else out of it and, and this guy speed painting some, whatever. Right? That's that's the real problem. But anyway, let's get back to... Um, let's get back to Greenwald. So So Greenwald... This is about something else, right he's a, right, he's writing about this campaign where basically um, uh, there are there's big consensus in the US for passing laws that would curtail the powers or kind of take take apart these big tech monopolies. and now there's a campaign by you know the security state for lack of a better word. Sorry for patting my microphone, by the way. Um, to say, no, we can't have this. Um, this. These monopolies must be because they protect our freedom, our society. Um, so, sorry, I a bit of water here. Stay hydrated, people. Glenn Greenwald writes... A group of former intelligence and national security officials on Monday issued a jointly signed letter warning that pending legislative attempts to restrict or break up the power of big tech monopolies, Facebook, Google, Amazon, would jeopardize national security because, they argue, their centralized censorship power is crucial to advancing US foreign policy. The majority of this letter is devoted to repeatedly invoking the grave threat allegedly posed to the U.S. by Russia as illustrated by the invasion of Ukraine. And it repeatedly points to the dangers of Putin and the Kremlin to justify the need to preserve big tech's power in its maximalist form. Any attempts to restrict big tech's monopolistic power would therefore undermine the U.S. fight against Moscow. While one of their central claims... Is that big tech monopoly power is necessary to combat, i.e., censor foreign dis- in and quote, in quotes foreign disinformation? Several of these officials are themselves leading disinformation agents. Many were the same former intelligence officials who signed the non- now infamous and debunked pre-election letter, fraudulently claiming that the authentic Hunter Biden emails had the hallmarks quote hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Former Obama Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, former Obama CIA Director Michael Morrell, former Obama CIA Pentagon Chief Leon Panetta. Others who signed this letter have strong financial ties to the big tech corporations whose power they are defending in the name of of national security. Morrell Panetta, former Bush National Security Advisor Fran Townsend. The ostensible purpose of the letter is to warn of the national security dangers of two different bipartisan bills, one pending in the Senate, the other in the House, that would prohibit big tech monopolies from using their vertical power to quote discriminate against competitors. The way Google, for instance, uses its search engine business to bury the videos of competitors to its YouTube property, such as Rumble, which is Greenwood saying because he likes that because he has, you know got problems on youtube because like me he said things that youtube didn't like or the way google and apple use their stores and amazon uses its domination over hosting services to destroy competitors every all of this is stuff we talked about on the show before The amount of bipartisan support each bill has garnered and the widespread animosity towards big tech reflected by this congressional support has shocked Google, Amazon, Apple and Facebook lobbyists who are accustomed to getting their way in Washington with lavish donations to the key politicians in each party. This letter by former national security officials is, in one sense, an act of desperation. The bills have received the support of the key committees with jurisdiction over antitrust and big tech. In the Senate, five Conservative Republican Committee members who have been outspoken critics of big tech. Grassley senators Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Senator John Kennedy joined with Democrats to ensure the passage of one bill out of the Judiciary Committee by 16 to 6 vote with the companion bill passing that committee with the support of 20 of 22 senators. As the intercept Sarah Sirota and Ryan Grimm report Quote, both bills have big tech reeling since a floor vote would likely be a blowout for big tech. The extreme animus harbored by large parts of the left and right towards Big Tech makes it very difficult for any lawmaker to go on record in opposing those proposed bills if they are forced to publicly take a position in a floor vote. As a result, Big Tech's last hope is to keep the bill from reaching the floor, where senators would be forced to go on record. A goal they hope will be advanced by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, of New York, due to his close ties with Silicon Valley. Both both Schumer's children are on the payroll of companies the proposals would seek to rein in, reported the New York Post. Jessica Schumer is a registered lobbyist at Amazon. According to New York State Records, Alison Schumer works at Facebook as a product marketing manager. Despite that, Schumer claimed to The Intercept that he supports both bills and will vote in favor of them, even though he has engaged in maneuvers to impede the bills from getting a full-floor vote. This is where these former intelligence and national security officials come in. While these former CIA, Homeland Security, and Pentagon operatives have little sway in the Senate Judiciary and House Antitrust Committees, they command great loyalty from congressional national security committees. Those committees, created to exert oversight of the U.S. intelligence and military agencies, are notoriously captive to the U.S. national security state. The ostensible purpose of this new letter is to insist that big tech monopoly power is vital to US national security because it is necessary for them to censor, quote, disinformation from the internet, especially now with the great f- Russian threat reflected by the war in Ukraine, and they thus, thus demand that the anti big tech bills first be reviewed not only by the judiciary and antitrust committees, but also the national security committees where they wield power and influence, which they have traditionally played no role which have traditionally played no role in regulating the technology sector. With other words, you know, had head off this floor vote, um, or even getting this to a vote by claiming it's important to national security, because they know that, you know, there's huge support on both sides of the aisle and in the public for fighting these monopolies, right? And now the question that you would be asking yourself, why is the intelligence community trying to save and protect these big tech companies? Well, follow the money, um, because there's m- mutual interest. Uh, as Greenwald puts it, Why would these former national security and intelligence officials be so devoted to preserving the unfettered power of big tech to control and censor the Internet? One obvious explanation is the standard one that always runs Washington. Several of them have financial interests in serving big tech's agenda. Unsurprisingly, Apple CEO Tim Cook has himself pushed the claim that undermining big tech's power in any way would threaten U.S. national security. And there is now an army of well-compensated by Silicon Valley former national security officials echoing this message. A well-researched political article from from September headlined 12 former security officials who warned against antitrust crackdown have tech ties – Detailed how many of these former officials who invoke national security claims to protect big tech are on the take from the key tech monopolies. And are all, you know, also pundits in the press, right? Because the, the press in the US apparently has forgotten that spies are the enemies and now puts them as pundits on talk shows. For some reason. Um, so, this is, it, of course, if you think about this as, as a as as a human being um, who is um, at least marginally able to think for themselves um, is of course bullshit to suggest that you know there has to be these monopolies by very few companies over the internet to preserve um, democracy and freedom in the US but problem is um that people think that people who have no idea about the topic they think that and and the press who largely also has no idea thinks that and and perpetuates these ideas and then people believe it it's like the net neutrality story back in the day which is uh you know also something where everybody was like even tech people were like yeah yeah net neutrality net neutrality Whereas anybody who ever worked in the ISP business, uh, you know, if you ask them, would tell you that net neutrality is bullshit and not a thing. That of course, you know, you have traffic flows, and there's always more traffic flowing in one direction than the other, and that companies pay each other for that, right? The 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 reason why the there was the thing even in the tech press, I remember like Twitter was leo laporte was going on this to no end like we need net neutrality and like you can't go and say like this packet has to be more expensive like than that packet and like of course that's how it works right now that's how it always worked and the only reason why when that propaganda was put out there that we need net neutrality and that's important for democracy and stuff were like companies like Google and Netflix, like big tech companies who are responsible for a huge uh, amount of the traffic on the internet, who basically wanted to have a free lunch, right. They were like, okay, if you're a small ISP and, uh, and, you know, um, so, so with ISPs and, and internet companies, you know, there's something called peering. So basically the assumption is we, we all have a network with a big network traffic flows in all directions. And, and if, if, I'm an ISP and like you're an ISP, whatever, and we're both exchanging traffic. And if there's the same traffic um, exchanged, then we just go right fair fair. Like nobody has to pay anybody because we're both exchanging traffic, right? But if we have a situation where one, when, when there's massively more traffic from one ISP flowing over the network of the other ISP and like the, the ISP sees oh, all my customers, are getting like traffic from that one isp so i have to upgrade my infrastructures i have to pay money because my my um customers are using more traffic and it's all coming from that one company like and we're sending very little on their network but they send all that traffic on our network then these companies will go hey uh, this is like a one-way street like you're using my infrastructure i'm not using your infrastructure i would like you to pay for this or like you know get reimbursed or whatever and this has always happened and this is why there's things like you know netflix had these servers that an isp could put on their network where like the they they have this for years where like it's it's huge back in the day i think it was still hard drives no it's probably ssd like huge boxes where it just has like the most requested shows and if you're an isp you just put that on your network so you don't have to get it all in from the us and you know pay Pay another ISP for you know routing it through their network, but like they, of course it's a, it's a, like it's um, sorry, um, these ISPs are not running a charity, right? They're running a business. They're, these are businesses interacting with each other, and of course they pay each other um, for use of the inter- infrastructure. The idea that like all packets are free and like if i send an email um it has it it has the whole same um for for lack of a better word rights and privileges on the network then like thousands of gigabytes flowing in from like a google cdn then you're wrong right and if you and like this this whole idea that like um hey all, ne- all all packets are the same and they they shouldn't be like quality of service like and it's not fair if an isp goes oh we're throttling like the netflix download or like the i don't know the porn hub download no if like you you're running an isp and your whole network degrades because like some of your customers or all of your customers are just downloading massive like like if if the guy down the street can't do their like video call with their company because everybody else is just downloading massive amounts of data from the Call of Duty servers, of course you're going to QOIS it. Of course you're going to go, hey, let's throttle this. I mean, we're not going to hurt these guys downloading Call of Duty if, they're gonna, if, if it takes 10 minutes longer for them to download the game. It's not as bad as these other guys who can't do their job because they can't get a video connection to their fucking company or like even a audio connection. Like this kind of thing has always been going on and people who had a clue in technology knew that this was going on, right? But for some reason, this propaganda line of, hey, we need freedom of packets and we need net neutrality just became the truth and everybody believed it. And this is kind of the same thing. It's kind of like everybody thinking now, Like, we need big monopolies and we need censorship to win so that democracy wins against Putin or something. I don't know. Anyway, Greenwald goes on. Um, The view that preservation of big tech is vital for national security is by no means an anonymous view, even in that world. Now come the intelligent people. uh, Retired General Wesley Clark and others have vehemently argued that this claims a myth. As veteran Internet Security expert Bruce Schneier observed, quote, these bills will encourage competition, prevent monopolist extortion, and guarantee users new right to digital self determination. But the national security state has enough true believers combined with paid chills to make it appear as if Americans should be desperate to preserve and, and protect big tech's power, because this power is crucial in keeping America safe. And particularly fighting Russia. Um, and now we get to the why this is going on, right? Why this union exists? It's basically big tech, you know, is uh, working hand in hand with like the security services, like the intelligence services in the U.S. Because they they get to maintain their monopoly over their market by you know having the basically the the protecting hand of the government. You know, over them, and and they're paying some some lobbyists. You know, some somebody quits the job at, at the CIA, then they be- can become this, you know, this Google lobbyist or whatever. And and the 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 security, the intelligence apparatus has an interest in this because they have their feelers in these companies, right? And they get the the, the state gets to censor what they want to censor. They can shape the public discourse like they want. They can. They can put out the propaganda and they can spy on everybody. Snowden. Um, As Greenwald says, um, there are indeed valid and rational reasons um, for these officials to view big tech monopoly power as a vital weapon in advancing their national security agenda. As I documented last week... Um, Link in the show notes, private citizen or press. When reporting on the unprecedented censorship regime imposed in the West regarding the war in Ukraine, big tech censorship of political speech is not random. We talked about this on the show a lot recently. Domestically, it's virtually always devoted to silencing any meaningful dissent from liberal orthodoxy or official pieties on key political controversies. But in terms of foreign policy, censorship patterns of tech monopolies virtually always align with US foreign policy, you know, US companies... So it makes sense. And for understandable reasons, Big Tech and the US security state are in a virtually complete union with all sorts of overlapping mutual financial interests. Note that the censorship regime is completely one sided and is usually entirely aligned with US foreign policy. Western news outlets and social media platforms have been flooded with pro-Ukrainian propaganda and outright lies from the start of the war. Members of the U.S. Congress have gleefully spread fabrications that went viral to millions of people with no action from censorship-happy Silicon Valley corporations. This is not a surprise. All participants in war use disinformation and propaganda to man- manipulate public opinion in their favor. And that certainly includes all direct and proxy war belligerents in the one Ukraine. Yet there is little no to no censorship either by western states or by silicon valley monopolies of pro-ukrainian disinformation propaganda and lies censorship goes only in one direction to silence any voices deemed pro-russian regardless of whether they spread misinformation their crime like the crime of so many other banished accounts was not disinformation but skepticism about the u.s. nato propaganda campaign Put another way, it is not disinformation, but rather viewpoint error that is targeted for silencing. One can spread as many lies and as much disinformation as one wants, provided that it is it is designed to advance NATO agen- the the NATO agenda in Ukraine. Just as one is free to spread disinformation, provided that its purpose is to strengthen the Democratic Party, which wields its majority and power in Washington to demand greater censorship and commands the support of most of Silicon Valley and you know i've talked about this on the show before like the the thing is it's all of this is propaganda right when when i talk about like the when i in previous episodes talked about um the ukrainian the obviously ukrainian propaganda being spread in like in the press as well um it's not i'm not saying that the russian propaganda isn't bad they are equal they very very much equal right if you're especially if you're in the press it doesn't it doesn't matter which side you are personally on right your job is to point out that both of this is propaganda and you can't be on twitter like even if it's your personal account going oh look at this guy blowing up this tank and the Ukrainians are winning i mean you are spreading propaganda, which is the last thing you should do as a journalist. You, as a journalist, your whole reason for being there is to fight propaganda in all its ways. You know, we're talking public relations. Um, we're talking propaganda by the government. We're talking propaganda by interest groups, anything doesn't matter. And especially in a war. Um, and the, 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 the problem is I'm, I'm not I'm not condemning that Russian propaganda is called out as propaganda. The problem is that the Ukrainian propaganda isn't called out as propaganda. And the problem is that people don't even see that. I mean, I talked about like we talked about uh, here we talked about big tech and the security state, but the third part of this un- unholy alliance is the press. And the the big problem here. I think because I'm a journalist is that the press is not reporting on this. Like the press is not going, um, doing the things. I mean, yes, some individual members like Greenwald and me are doing it, but like the mainstream press isn't doing it because as we have seen, you know, the Washington post being owned by Bezos, they're all tied up with this stuff as well. And as I think Taibbi pointed out uh, earlier, um, journalists don't see themselves as fighting, Anymore, they're like kind of part of it. They're like, oh, we must, you know, during the pandemic, I pointed this out. We must, uh, we must, we must tell the people what the WHO says. No, the WHO is just a random organization. If you're a journalist and the German health ministry says something, you're not supposed to say, oh yes, the German health ministry has said this. We must report this. No, you you have to critically. Ask questions and 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 think about what might be wrong. What you know? What what might what is maybe wrong with the things the German health ministry is saying or the WHO is saying? What is this fucking World War Two? And you're like the the British press. and We're like, oh, we need to, you know? We need to we need to bolster the fighting spirit of the men at the front. So what's Churchill saying? So we must uh, we must uh, report this uh, verbatim. Like that's not your job as a journalist right if 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 there's a war and your country's in a war, and your government is saying we're winning the war, and you're a journalist and you go to the front and you see that your not you think your country is losing the war, then it is your job to report that it is not your job to think, oh I maybe I should not report this because maybe then we would we really use the war. That's not your job, your job is to look at the world and then think critically and report what you think is, you see, what you think is the truth. But apparently nobody's doing that anymore. And that is almost almost the biggest problem because it's taken, if you're just thinking as, as a normal human being, and especially after Snowden, it's taken for granted uh, that the intelligence services are, you know, working towards the goals of the government and against the goals of private citizens. And of course they're doing propaganda. But if you know that, then why why do you trust these black like, why why do press outlets report these letters by people, but you know, by people ex, ex CIA people, by people with ties to Silicon Valley? Why do people why do these journalists and 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 people you depend on you know to think critically don't do that and just go yeah must be right <clears throat> anyway uh greenwald uh i mean he didn't finish his article that but i thought this was this was a nice ending so um he also wrote uh needless to say the u.s security state wants to maintain a stranglehold on political discourse in the u.s and the world more broadly i mean that's their job right they want to be able to impose propagandistic narratives without challenge and advocate for militarism without dissent. To accomplish that, they need a small handful of corporations which are subservient to them to hold their hands as much uh, um to hold in their hands as much concentrated power over the internet as possible. And I think, you know, I, I keep going on about the press, because I take that for granted. Right? I take for granted that corporations do things that are against the interest of the public and against the interest of the customers to hold on to their market and to make more money. That is what a corporation is for. Right. And I take it for granted that the intelligence community and, and for for lack of a more sophisticated term, the shady parts of government that have been created to do the things that the government isn't proud of and that they would rather keep secret, um, that they work with these corporations and even work against the interest of society at large if it furthers their their agenda, right? If it furthers their interest, if it enables them to control political discourse. I take that for granted. What makes this whole alliance unholy is that the press is taking part in this and that the the, the, the press is the... The actor here, in which you know, it's in the really should be in their interest um, to expose this and to be critical, you know, because that's what they read. Like, none of these other players are beholden to the public in a democratic way, right? Corporations are not beholden to the public; they're beholden to their shareholders and to their board. Um, intelligence services are specifically an ent- anti, and I've talked about this a lot, an anti-democratic part of government. There are apart from the rest of the government, there are they are created for the specific reason to not be accountable to the voter. Right, government outsources things into the intelligence services that it that that if they were public, the voters would get, hey, we, we didn't vote you to do this shit, right? And going to vote you out. Um, so deeds are not beholden to the public. The press is beholden to the public or should. And I guess the press has gotten it in their head because, you know, the internet and their nice monopoly with the printing press and the broadcast frequencies has gone away and now they make way less money um, because there's actually competition, and people are kind of reluctant to pay, especially for shitty journalism, Um, the press has somehow gotten it in, in their head that they should rather schmooze with the government and, I guess, these corporations and rich people than do what their readers and their viewers and their listeners want them to do. Right? Because they're not paying the bills. Jeff Bezos is paying the bills now. So they want to do what Jeff Bezos wants them to do. And this would be a perfect segue into explaining to you why we need the value for value model and why I believe that um, listener-supported journalism is the only journalism you can do today. But you can't do that because there's one last thing um, I still want to talk about. (laughs) Many people, especially techie people, nerds, people listening to this podcast, will at this point go, well, the problem here is centralized social networks, and we can solve this by decentralizing them. And I just want to say, I personally think um, that is a very simplified viewpoint that just doesn't hold up to reality. And um, I think that from experience, because back in the day, I used to be like that as well. I used to, you know, look at open source and decentralized systems like email and IRC and stuff like that. And I used to go, well, those are better systems. And, you know, I was part of Identica and Status.net. Uh, more recently, I've tried Matrix. And I've I, I've tried a lot of these. Decentralized systems, and it it took me a long time, but I realized that they don't work. They should work, and we'd be in a better world if they did. And they would work if all of us were nerds and geeks, um, but they don't because people in general, the public, um, for lack of a better term, are sheep. You know. Um, I would say they're dumb, but like, it's not like they're dumb. They just don't use enough of their brain. Um, you know, it's, it's like this, this yeah, I've talked about today before. Um, they go to work, get up in the morning, maybe they have kids, you know, and they look after the kids, they go to work, they come home and they're completely wiped. They don't have the energy. They don't want to care about all this stuff. They don't want to, you know. They can't do like federated fucking. So, like, for most of these people, it's like the. uh, It, it, like. It, it maxes out whatever processing power. I don't want to say like the intellectual, because I mean, I think if they used the. If they took the time and energy, they could figure this out. Most people could figure that out. It's really not that hard. But people just don't because, like, they have a certain um, budget of processing time, so to speak. And they have, they've used it all up. They've used it for work, for their family, for a little bit of entertainment. And then they have a very little bit left and they they just can't. It's not enough to, like, it's hard. It's enough for them to sign up to Twitter. But... If we have a federated system and there's several servers and you have to follow somebody from another server and you then have to have to add the thing and they add that, they, they just they can't. It's just They just go, the brain turns off and they go away. And I've seen this happen again and again and again. And as a nerdy, techie person who wants to convince other people of technically superior technology... I've tried to do that again and again and again, and I've learned at some point. I'm now old. I've got a lot of gray hair, and I figured it just just doesn't work. You can't do that. Like, I can't, you can't even, right, there's, you you talk to people on WhatsApp, and you're like, like, you know, let's not use WhatsApp because reason, and let's go to Signal, and you can't, like, you can't do that. You can't even get them there. And you know i've I've had this problem um with very intelligent people have very intelligent friends they're very, they're more intelligent than me. you know they're scientists they're 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 very smart, but because they're scientists and they spend a lot of time like they have jobs and then in their free time they basically do science and they do all of this stuff, they don't have the mental processing power to do this shit, and they don't want to. And this is why these federated systems, in my opinion, is my personal opinion. I think they will never work, and they haven't worked so far. Um, the only systems where we have that is stuff like email, where it was basically grandfathered in. Email is basically all the nerds set that up before the normal people, and then the normal people just had to deal with it. Like they had to free the, they had to use email for whatever reason, and so they had to force themselves to free up this mental processing power to actually use it. Because they had to, because they were forced to. Meanwhile, the geeks, the nerds, us, most of the people probably listen to the show, um, we save a lot of mental processing power for this kind of shit. Because we like doing it. Right, We like to tinker with stuff. We like to take stuff apart. We like write our own software just because it's a challenge. Um, we build... I mean, there's people who build mechanical watches as a hobby. No, people are not like that. And those people go, yeah, this is a great idea. This is great technology with uh, everything, everything decentralized and it works. And these people, most of them, I've dealt with a lot of nerds in my time, um, because as a tech journalist, you kind of what I'm, what I, what my job as a tech journalist mostly is, is a translator <laughs> between the nerds, you know, that do the open source project and they, the, the normal people, and I, I, I translate back and forth, um, and these people can't. They can't put themselves in each other's shoes, right? Then if you go to Fosdem, and if you listen to, like, talks at Fosdem, you're like, wow. Like, if these guys would sort out, like, technology, we'd we'd be living, like, in five years, we'd be living in a much better world. Almost be utopia, right? We'd sort out all of these problems. And these people often at Fosdem, they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. In five years, everything's going to be decentralized. But they never understand. Like, and and I, you know, I talk to these people, and I'm like, this is not going to work because normal people don't work. Like, No, no, it's superior technology. And I used to be like this, right? Um, I used to think that Linux, which is clearly a better operating system than Microsoft Windows, and I'm using Windows right now, it clearly is better. Um, I used to believe that you could convince people based on that, like, if you if you went to people and said, this is clearly a better prod- product, um, they would use it. You know, they would listen to your arguments. They were like, yeah, this is clearly a better product. I mean, there's some downsides, but I'm, I can get past them because it's clearly a better product. And in doing this Outlaws and after that, I've learned a lot of things, and I've learned that that's not how it works. right? And since reading Bernays, I also... Um, I know now it, it doesn't work because of propaganda, right? Because in a, um, in society, it's not even like in a free market economy, it's just like in society, it's not the better product um, that succeeds. It's the one with the better propaganda. It's that easy. And sometimes the better product succeeds because it has the better propaganda. Um, but it doesn't succeed because it's better. And, even though decentralized social networks would be better for society and they would solve most of these problems, um, they're not going to succeed because they're not going to have the better propaganda. Because if you have a centralized system, it's easier to make money from, it's easier to just amass people using it, um, it's easier to advertise. Right? If you if you have an advertising campaign, you go like Twitter, it's Twitter, it's a blue bird. This is Twitter. Right, if you have a decentralized system like Matrix, for example, what, what you're gonna what you're gonna advertise? Matrix? Yeah, but, but what are you gonna use? Right? Then you're gonna advertise like that one one um, server. You know, I don't know. I don't even know, can't remember what it is for Matrix, or you can sign up and you can get that. Yeah. But if you do that, then everybody goes there, and you defeat the purpose of decentralized. Right, so we can have you can you can use your own server. You can sign up anywhere and use it. Is a shitty advertising slogan compared to it's Twitter. <laughs> Go to Twitter. You know th- this is this is this is why this is never going to work. I'm sorry. So stop with the what I want to say. Stop with the yeah. Oh, we need to decentralize. It's never going to happen. It's never going to work. Um. We need, we need another solution. It's probably not going to be Elon Musk, you know, some, some rich guy who has his own whims, even if he is benevolent. Uh, he might not be benevolent at some point. Um, if you want to ask me, if you want a big picture before I wind up the show, um, let me get my last sip of scotch here. If you want to do, like, big picture now, I think society has to realize um, that these platforms, whatever the current platform is, is where social so, uh, social life is happening to a large extent now, um, which is probably going to be easier for the normal person on the street to realize after the pandemic. Um, and we need to realize that these are like important public spaces for democracy And that they need protection. And protection maybe by the government, I don't know. Um, And somebody needs to protect them. But I don't know how it's going to work. Because the problem is that I'm in Germany. um, And in Germany, everybody uses these platforms that are basically US platforms, right? So I don't know what the German government would do. And for the same reason that decentralization doesn't work... The German government going well. We have the German Twitter, and it's now our oh, public discourse net. Like everybody sign up to it's the German Twitter stamp of approval by the German government. It's not going to work for the same reason. The propaganda is just not g- going to be as good uh, because these days uh, states don't do the best propaganda. Companies do. Um, yeah, it's never it's never going to happen. So I don't know. I don't know what the solution there is. That's why I'm a journalist, right? This is why I never, nobody will ever call me a genius. Um, This is why I'm not Elon Musk and not even a business genius. This is why I'm not an entrepreneur. This is why I don't invent things or um, create. I mean, I can can create things. I'm relatively creative. I can, I think I can write pretty good. I mean, I can talk to you for uh, two hours uh, with only marginal notes. I can do that, but I will never, I'm I'm best at criticizing things. I'm here to show you the things that are wrong in the world. That's why you're here, right? And to listen, to listen and not to think, hey, he's right, but to form your, I I hope you, with every show, I mean, when I listen to podcasts, when I watch videos on YouTube, whatever, this is what I, what I look for. Um, I look for people that make me think. I gravitate towards people who have sometimes the same opinions as me, but, like, if they have, like, the exact same opinions, it's like when I watch YouTube videos or whatever, after two or three, I'm not going to watch them again because it's basically, like, listen to myself. I like people who are, like, relatively close to me but then make me think. But also, I also listen to a lot of other, other, you know, people who are completely different opinion than me, and I like to expose myself to that kind of stuff. Anyway, no matter why you're here, I hope that's what's what's happening here, that you, you listen to me, you, you think about this. And um, yeah, this is this is where we get to the next section of the show. Because if you're listening to this and you're like, this is bullshit. What is this shit? Well, like, why is why, is, why is Glenn Greenwald's an idiot? Why is he quoting Glenn? What matter EB is a fucking Putin apologist? I don't know. Or like, you're wrong on this, or maybe you're, you're onto something here. Please, please go to Uh you know, just episode 116, uh, scroll down. There's a producer fe- feedback segment. We don't have any feedback right now um, for this show, but, the episode's been long enough anyway, but also um we didn't actually have feedback. It's been a bit sparse lately, which is interesting because like <laughs> the listeners going up, I mean, I'm probably lying because I recently did an episode that was based completely on, on, on producer feedback. So I mean, there's been feedback, but like not really when I prepared this episode. So I thought let's leave it out. But what I'm trying to say is right to me. I need you um I need you to uh if you have thoughts, um, you know, you can use the forum, you can use email, you can use whatever. You can you can Twitter. You can write me on Twitter at Foxart Alpha Bravo Sierra Hotel at fab. Um I wanna hear from you. That's 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 the main point. Because I want you to make me think as well, and this is gonna generate new episodes. Maybe we can discuss discuss it maybe i can you know you can you can tell me do you want me to read out um what you write do you want it to stay private i don't i don't care um i will welcome any kind of feedback i'm I'm always happy when people write me um of course when i when i don't agree with them sometimes i get angry for a second but then i'm like hey he, he or she is just doing what i told them to do um, and I'm I'm nice. I promise you, I'm, I'm pretty nice writing back. For some reason, people have this opinion of me that I'm. I hear this quite a lot that they think I'm like an asshole. Um, uh, you will be ple- pleasantly surprised probably, um, if you write me. Yeah. So um, please, please do that. And uh, if you if you're not doing that, you could do something else. as of yet, PayPal hasn't frozen my funds. (laughs) So if you want to, you can support the show monetarily uh, via PayPal. Uh, Email address is producers at fab.industries. Also listed on privatecitizen.press. Or you could become a member of my Patreon and uh, support me on a monthly basis. And this is the value for value model. as pioneered by the No Agenda Show. Basically, uh, it's the only way I think... We can do journalism right now. Like journalism, you can. I mean, I'm not seriously, I'm, I'm not gonna say that it's the only journalism, but for me, um, the stuff I do, I think it's the only way to do it. Right? I don't know, I don't want to be ad supported because that will make me beholden to the like if you take money. Let's be real here for a second. If you take money from somebody, or even if, if, if you do something and they send you money afterwards, you are beholden to them to some degree. And if they're advertisers, even if they go just, oh, we just like you, um, here's some money, you start thinking like, Oh, what what's that company like? Oh, you see, you can start centering yourself, right? If should I should I report on this? What happens if the company does something really shady? And you would like, re- usually report on that, you know, would then you're like, should I report on that I might lose my sponsorship? I don't want that. <laughs> right? I don't want that. So with with the model I'm doing right now, I'm earning significantly less money, but I'm beholden to you, and I'm okay with that because I think that's you know that's what journalism should be. I mean journalism was always that you know back in the day a few hundred years ago, you had newspapers and they actually belonged to political parties and all that kind of stuff. But I think the journalism we want and the journalism that I think is good journalism is the one that's beholden to its readers and listeners. And viewers, um, which is why I chose this model, and I think it's it's the only it's the only way forward, really. Um, so yeah, if you wanna if you wanna support me, um, feel free to do so. And if you don't, uh that's okay as well. I'm 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 okay with that. And with that, let's thank everybody who supported this very episode. Um you've just been listening to. So uh thanks to Georges, Steve Hose, Butterbeans, Rudane the Insane, Michael Small, Jonathan M. heavy Michael Mullen Jensen, 1i11G, Dave, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Jackie Plage, Philip Klostermann, IKN, Sandman616. Bennett Piata, Vlad, Mode7, Rizal, Kyseis, Joe Poser, Avis, Dirk Didi, Fadi Mansour, David Potter, Mika, Cam, Mr. Amish, Dave Umbrish, Ricky M, Barry Williams, Jonathan, RJ Tracy, Rick Bragg, Captain Aircat, Astral C, Robert Forster, Super User, D, No Reply, and Crunkle. And also thanks to my Twitch subscribers, I'm live streaming this on Twitch, so they support the show as well, Mike the Dane, JonathanMH.com, gal tavern Gym, jim redeemer are redeemer f bacon the pork and mode 7 is unavailable um yes thanks i uh, appreciate all of you i uh, appreciate all of your support i mean the Twitch subscribers might be uh, supporting uh, my upcoming streams i just got a racing wheel set up so uh, i'm gonna stream some racing games in the future they might just support that but uh, thanks anyway um i appreciate all of you and um it's it's helping me pay the bills um i've actually had in the past i've had i think once or twice with the situation where the bank account was very empty and my wife was like somebody paying you it at some point and, and i said ah, well you know i got some money in patreon Sent send some money over from patreon and it's actually saved my ass so yeah thanks for that the list gets longer, I think, says El oh, Terrestris Jim and Twitch chat. Um, actually, um, it's kind of staying the same. But, you know, I'm okay with that because these people have been, you've you all been with me for a long time. And, usually, you know, somebody, somebody, sometimes somebody drops off and then we get a new person. Uh, and I'm kind of okay with how it's going. And some people are very generous, actually. Um, I just kind of don't want to get into that really because I think, you know, uh, you know I've been in many situations in my life you know I've been a been a student and I know who it is so um, I you know if if you're a student and you just you, you, you're sending like a dollar a month you know t- or whatever situation you're in. A dollar a month is a dollar a month. It's better than, <laughs> it's literally better than nothing. So I thank all of you. I just have to thank ByteMark. Um, having said that I don't take money from companies, I really don't, but ByteMark are somewhat of an ex- exception. Uh, ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk. i never taken any money from them, but ever since Linux Outlaws, um, when we were looking for servers for the podcast hosting, which is very expensive, you know, the bandwidth and the hosting of the files, uh, ByteMark stepped up um, ByteMark.co.uk British cloud hosting company and for years they've just given me two servers free of charge and they're saving my ass as well so couldn't do the show without them so thanks to ByteMark um, they are good people and uh, with that I'm going to play us out of course the uh, theme tune for this, song, uh, for this song for this show <laughs> time, time I left here I've got some scotch left Wait, I'm going to solve, solve that problem right now. Right. Um, theme song for the show, Acoustic Roots by Roo Kamzali. Um But I'm going to play us out with a song called The Appalachian Trail, which is close to my heart by Hunter Quinn. It's very, um, the instrumental song is very, um, it reminded me very much of Firefly. So, you know, aim to misbehave. And see you soon.